So today we actually wrap up our series that we've entitled One Life. Over the last five weeks, we've been talking about the fact that God, we think, is challenging us as a church to make an impact on our communities one life at a time. And, and so as I've been thinking about the best way to kind of pull all of this together, I decided what I want to do today is actually tell you about three different conversations that I had this past week. Three conversations that kind of help pull all of one life and all of our efforts together for me. And so three conversations, but I actually want to tell you three very specific words that kind of characterize each conversation. And, and again, these conversations help me kind of put a handle on what one life is all about. And so three distinct words um, that kind of characterize this conversation. So first of all, let me just say it's good to have all of you here with us across all of our campuses. And let me also just say, if you happen to be here today for the very first time, if you're new to LCBC, then you get to sit in on kind of the conclusion of a family kind of discussion that we've been having for several weeks, for some of us several months now. And, uh, and it's great that you're here because I'm just gonna be open, transparent, talk about who we are as a church. And so I think it's great that you're here and get a sense of who we are as a church. So first conversation that I'll tell you about, actually it was a conversation that happened last Sunday night. Ruth and I were meeting with our life group, and this fall, our life group has actually been using the discussion guides that are provided by the church that kind of play off of the weekend gatherings, and so whatever we talk about in here, then we discuss as a group on Sunday evenings when our group gets together. And so last weekend, the discussion in here was about heaven and hell, and about the fact that all of us are going to spend eternity, God says, in one of two places. One place is heaven, the other option is hell. And, and so our group was talking about heaven and hell. We had a great discussion about heaven and hell. And, and we kind of, to a person, everybody in the life group said, yeah, yeah, I definitely believe that, that all of us are going to spend eternity in one of two places, either heaven or hell. Everybody said, yeah, we definitely believe that. And to a person, as a life group, we all said, we believe that Jesus and Jesus alone is the one that makes it possible for us to even have the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven. And, and we said, yeah, we all believe that. Without Jesus, any one of us would be destined to spend eternity in hell. But, but what was interesting is that really wasn't the bulk of the discussion. But because what we kind of said as we kind of talked about heaven and hell and the fact that we all believe in it, it's really it came down to, and the first word that I just want to use to characterize my discussions was the word urgency. Because as we talked together, we said, if we believe that heaven is real, if we believe hell is real, why don't we have more of a sense of urgency of telling other people about heaven, telling other people about hell, telling other people about Jesus, and it all came down to a sense of urgency. And if we were honest, as we were as a group, we said, you know, if eternity hangs in the balance for individuals, why do we not have more of a sense of urgency? And so I know the excuse that I like to use for myself. For myself, I like to, the kind of story I run in my head is I say, David, you know what? You're an introvert, and so no wonder you don't go out and tell everybody because you're an introvert. And you don't like to be bothered. You don't want people to bother you. And so that's the excuse that I run in my head. And how about you? I don't know what excuse you use, but, but that's been my excuse. But if I'm honest, it's not about personalities. It's not about what my personality is. It's not about what comes natural to me because it's all about warning somebody of an, uncommon, of an oncoming danger, a danger that unless something changes, it's gonna end badly for, for whatever person doesn't know about the oncoming danger. And so none of us, I don't think, are good at warning people of uncommon 
oncoming dangers. And so for instance, let me do a little survey with you and, and I don't need a show of hands. I actually would like to just give, have you give me a verbal yes or no when I kind of give you this little survey. It's a response from all the campuses, just kind of a yes or no. And it's really, it's a simple one. It's not all that threatening, but let's just say right now, somebody sitting in front of you in whatever seat you're in right now, if the person sitting in front of you um, if you noticed on the back of their kind of shirt that the tag is sticking up, you know, the sw- if it's a sweater, a coat, whatever it is, the tag is sticking up, how many of you would actually warn the person or tell them, hey, your tag is showing in the back? How many would say, yes, you would do that? Yes? How many would say, no, I would never do that? Okay, so about 50-50 there. And what's interesting is Ruth always points out tags. And her line is, she says, you know what? It just shows that there's nobody that loves them enough to actually tell them that there's a tag sticking out. And so she tells everybody if she sees a tag because she would want somebody to tell her. All right, let's say, this is actually something that happened to me. Let's say that you're walking and you're kind of with a group of people. Maybe it's somebody you know, maybe it's somebody you don't. But as you're walking, you notice another person and there's actually a tag, a price tag hanging down from their coat or their shirt or maybe it's stuck to their pants or whatever it is. You notice a tag on their article of clothing. How many of you would actually tell the person, oops, you know what, there's a, there's a tag hanging there. Yes? yes? No? Okay, so more of you would say yes to that. Okay, kind of interesting. When I was very first day of graduate school, um, the school that I went to, we had to wear at that time a suit, uh, coat and tie, suit to, uh, to class. So I didn't have a suit and tie, and so I had to go get one. And so very, very first day of grad school, get out of the car, and I'm not even just, I'm taking two steps from the car, and a man who also is getting out of his car says to me, hey, you still have the price tag on your suit there, and so I had to take it off. Now, you know, that was a little bit embarrassing. What was more embarrassing is when I walked to class, he followed all the way there. He was the professor for my very first class. I was like, oh, great. So, uh, so anyway. All right, another one. This is a little bit more delicate here. You're with a group of people, and it's men and women. It's a mixed group. You happen to notice that one of the guys, his zipper is down. You would tell him? Yes? No? Yeah, see, those of you who said yes, I think you're lying. I don't think you would tell. Um, I've been in those situations before. Not me, at least I hope not me. Nobody told me. Um, but... Um, I've been in this situation before, and there's no way I'm gonna say anything, but what are you gonna say? And I know, you know it's X, Y, Z, or all the different things that you say, and, but yeah, I don't know that anybody's gonna say that. So, um, you're, you're driving down the road, and uh, you notice a policeman kind of hidden behind some bushes or behind a sign, a billboard. You notice that he's checking speed by radar. You make it through, you don't get pulled over. But as you continue to drive, you wanna just tell other people, other cars that are coming your way, so you flash your lights, yes? yes. No? Yeah, those are the police officers in the room. Uh, they say, like, no, we'd never do that. Yeah, okay, flashing your lights, definitely do that, okay. One other one that I'll throw out at you. Um, this is actually a picture of the Royal Gorge. I don't know if you've ever been to the Royal Gorge or not, it's in Colorado. This is a suspension bridge that crosses the Royal Gorge. It's about a 1,200 foot drop to the bottom of this gorge, and um, used to, you could drive across it. I think in this picture, there's actually a car going across it. I've actually been across it. When I went across, you couldn't actually drive. You could walk it. I don't like heights at all, and so I think I probably crawled most of the way across the the bridge there. But but let's just kind of say that you happen to live in Colorado, and in order for you to get home from where you've been, and where you've been is this kind of family and friends gathering. You've been with a bunch of your family and friends. And to get home from the gathering, let's say the gathering's over here on this side and, and home is over here. And so you've got to cross this bridge to get home. 
And it's getting late in the evening. It's not quite dark, but it's almost dark. You're the first one to leave that party, that gathering. Everybody else remains behind, but they're going to be coming. As you get to the bridge, you realize all of a sudden the bridge is gone. It's not there anymore. And you're able to stop just in time to not go over the cliff. And so now you've got a decision to make. Do you stay there and warn people or do you kind of figure, you know what, they'll figure it out themselves, and so you go on. You would stay there and warn them, yes? yes. No? And I see one of the other gatherings, a woman just loudly said, no. And um, <laughs> I don't know what was going on in her life. Um, maybe mother-in-law, I don't know what the situation was, but uh, she said, no, I'm not gonna warn them. Um, yeah, I mean, would you warn friends and family that there's this oncoming danger they're headed right towards. And I think most people say, yeah, I would warn them of that. Um, last weekend, we, if you were here last weekend, opportunity to write names on these wooden pallets, um, names of people that we would love to introduce to Jesus Christ. My guess is, across all of our campuses, there's between 10 and 15,000 names written on these wooden pallets. And as we talked in our life group together, we said, do we really have a sense of urgency of introducing these people to Jesus Christ, realizing that, that there's this oncoming danger? I mean, if we would be willing to stand at the edge of a cliff and say, you know what, there's this oncoming danger, then, then are we really all that worked up about saying, oh man, you need to know what's coming? Now, what's fascinating to me is it's not even necessarily that we're warning people of an oncoming danger because, yeah, we're standing on the edge of the cliff and saying, you know what, be careful because the bridge is out, you might fall in. That would be bad news to find that out. And for us, it's not even bad news that we're trying to share with people about Jesus. It's actually good news because what we're doing, we're standing at the edge of a cliff saying, you know what, if you keep going the way you're going, it's not gonna end well, eternity in hell. But, but what we have the opportunity to say is, you know what, but there's another bridge. That there's another bridge that you can take. It's just right over here, and we point the way to Jesus, and Jesus is the bridge that takes us across the gorge, and, and so it's good news that we actually have to talk about, and so our question in our life group is, why don't we sense, why isn't there a sense of urgency in telling people about Jesus? Book of Romans in the Bible actually talks about us telling other people about Jesus. It actually says this, it's Romans chapter 10. It says, how can they, they being the people that are rushing towards eternity without Jesus, rushing towards eternity in hell, how can they call on him, him being Jesus, to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And so they're just saying, you know what, they're rushing towards an eternity in hell, bad news. How can they even make a choice to go find the bridge? They don't even know about him. And so it goes on and it actually says, and how can they hear about him unless someone tells them. Now, there's no opportunity for something different. And what's interesting is God has no other plan of telling people about heaven and hell and Jesus. We are the plan. That's his plan. You may go, that's a crazy plan. It's not for us to critique the plan, we're just the plan. And, um, and so the issue is why not the urgency? This passage actually goes on, describes those who tell other people about Jesus. It says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. What an amazing thing to tell other people about Jesus Christ and the amazing, amazing news of Jesus. And, and so we kind of find ourselves in our life group saying, man, why not more of a sense of urgency of telling people about Jesus? Part of what I love, about Lauren's story is the fact that Heather and Josh, 
meet Lauren at the fitness club, and they develop a friendship, a relationship, and as they talk and get to know each other, then Heather and Josh say to Lauren, why don't you come to church with us? Hey, why don't you come to church with us? They just threw it out there, they invited her. One friendship, one invitation, results in one life change. Now, Josh and Heather, when they invited Lauren to come to church with them, they, they took a risk because they didn't know how she was gonna respond. And so that actually leads me to my second word and kind of the second thought for this week that I had is I thought about one life, and that's the word risk. Because whenever we do something, whenever we warn somebody of an oncoming danger, whenever we kind of stick our necks out there and say, you know what, why don't you, or beware of, then really we're taking a risk. And what's interesting, when somebody takes a risk, when they warn people of oncoming dangers, we call that person a hero. And we say, you know, you just did something heroic, something that most people wouldn't do. And what's interesting is being a hero, heroic actions always come with a risk. There's always risk involved. If there was no risk involved, everybody would do it. Most people choose not to take the risk. Most people back away and say, yeah, I would like to do that, but I'm not gonna do that. There's risk involved. And, and so they would back away. And again, if everybody would do it, it wouldn't be heroic. And um, most people aren't willing to take the risk. Most people aren't willing to pay the price to do something heroic. And several years ago, probably about four or five years ago, if you're around LCBC four or five years ago, we came across a passage in a book of the Bible. The book is Jude, very last, next to the last book of the Bible. And this passage became kind of a rallying cry for those of us around LCBC at that time. And the passage actually talks about warning people who were on the brink of hell so standing on the edge of the cliff, about to go over, about to spend eternity in hell, and it actually challenges those of us that know Jesus to do something heroic. It actually challenges us to say, you know what, you need to be careful because you're about to step into something that's gonna have eternal ramifications. So the passage in Jude actually says this, you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. It just says, do something heroic. You know Jesus. You see people standing on the edge of the cliff. You see people almost ready to go to hell. You see people that you can snatch, it says, from the flames of judgment. Yeah, it involves risk, but it says take the risk. And then the passage actually ends this way. It says, show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution. Be very, very careful, the passage says. Hating the sin that contaminates their lives, just be careful. There's risk involved. But it doesn't say because there's risk, don't do it. It doesn't say because there's risk, back away. It still says snatch them from the flames of judgment. And, but it's risky business. There's a cost involved. And probably about 14 years ago, as a church, we came across an image that cemented in our minds what LCBC ought to be about. And, and for those of us, again, that were part of LCBC 14 years ago, th this one was just powerful for us, still as powerful even today. The image came from the movie The Titanic. And if you've seen the movie The Titanic, in one particular scene, the ship has sunk and everybody's out in the water and you just, the camera pans away and you see thousands of people in the frigid waters of the North Atlantic. And many of them are already dead. Those that are alive are still struggling to stay alive. Most of them are panicked. And, and then there are a few people that were lucky enough to secure a place in a lifeboat. But what's interesting is the lifeboats are nowhere near the people in the water. They paddled away. They've gone away to safety. 
And so the people in the lifeboats, they're warm, they're safe, they're secure, but they have a decision that they have to make. And the decision is, do we paddle back to where all the people are, try to pull some in, do something heroic, or do we just leave them there? And as they're talking about it, they're struggling because there's a risk involved. Anytime, anytime you do something heroic, there's risk involved. And so they said, you know what, if we paddle back, and we pull people in, I mean, best case scenario, they're gonna get us all wet, we're gonna get cold, who knows? We might die from just the cold, and, and so there's risk involved. That was the very best scenario. Worst case scenario, we can paddle back, and we can start pulling people in, and we could be swamped. So many people trying to get into our lifeboat that we could go under as well, and there was a decision that they had to make. Do we take the risk and go back, or do we stay here and actually play it safe? And, and going back, there's, there's risk. And um, so 14 years ago, we actually saw that image of a lifeboat surrounded by thousands of people that were in the water. People lost in the water, and, and we decided at that moment, we said, you know what, we're gonna be a lifeboat. LCBC is gonna be a lifeboat. But we're not gonna be a lifeboat that stays out in the waters, away from people that are in the water and play it safe. We're gonna be a lifeboat that goes back. And people will ask me, whenever we go through an initiative like One Life, they'll say, David, don't we ever get to the point where we don't have to talk about any more people one more life. And I go, you know what? As long as there's people in the water, and you guys wrote 10, 15,000 names of people that you believe are still in the water. And I go, you know, does the risk ever get to be too much? Does the cost ever get too high? For us not to paddle back as long as there are 10, 15,000 people still in the water. Last conversation that I'll tell you about. Actually, it wasn't even a conversation that I had. It was a conversation that I listened into. It was last Sunday morning on my way to church. And usually on Sunday morning on the way to church, I listened to just kind of praise and worship music to kind of get me focused on the morning. But last Sunday, for whatever reason, I had on ESPN. And so I'm listening to ESPN, and they're talking about the highlights from the games of the day before. And they start talking about one game in particular. It was Georgia Tech against Florida State. And they had a game together, football, on that Saturday. And as they talked about the game, I mean, Florida State is always a powerhouse, and Georgia Tech not so much, the underdog, comes to the very last play of the game, and the score is tied. And so it's been this momentous kind of monumental game for Georgia Tech. The game is tied. Florida State actually has the ball, and they decide they're going to try to kick a field goal to win the game instead of going into overtime. They just want to win it outright, very last play of the game. And so the announcers are kind of describing this whole scene, and as they describe it, what unfolds, everybody just kind of goes nuts. They go crazy at the ending of this particular game, and nobody thought that Georgia Tech would win. They're the underdog, and this fantastic finish, and there's pandemonium. Everybody goes nuts. They flood the field, and, and so I'm driving in the car listening to that, and all of a sudden, it made me think of a passage, Words of Jesus that we had read together probably three or four weeks before, and Jesus actually said this. He said, in the same way, let me just stop there, in the same way as what? In the same way of what we just listened to, this pandemonium, this, this raucous occasion where everybody's celebrating, in that same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away, in that same way. And I started thinking, okay, so what that means is when one person turns and chooses to follow Jesus, all of heaven goes nuts like what we just heard, these radio announcers. And it just kind of blew me away thinking about this. And it kind of took me to my third and final word, which really, just for me, it was the word priorities. 
Because as I thought about it, I thought, do I get excited when people turn and decide to follow Jesus in the same way that the rest of heaven gets excited? Or do I just go, you know what, oh, that's nice, that's Lauren's story, that's cool. But, but all of heaven kind of goes nuts, and so I'm thinking about that, and 10, 15,000 names, where, where when each of them, one at a time, one life, turned to follow Jesus, all of heaven erupts just like we just heard. I told you last weekend about my grandfather, 62 years of age when he decided to turn and follow Jesus. And he was a hard man, military man, hard life. And uh, he's lying in his hospital bed in Manila and he's about to die. And after 40 years of praying for him, my grandmother prayed for him for 40 years and he decides to turn and follow Jesus. And then I started picturing, okay, this is what heaven was doing. And I don't know that there's announcers in heaven. I don't know how everybody knows in heaven that somebody else has turned and decided to follow Jesus so that all of them erupt. But if there were announcers in heaven, they go, can you believe it? Archibald Napoleon Ashcraft, and I'm so thankful they didn't name me after him, but <laughs> Archibald Napoleon Ashcraft, after 40 years, he's turned and he's crossed the line of faith and all of heaven erupts and goes crazy. And I just go, okay, do I have that sense of, are my priorities straight? Do I get excited about that? Or do I get more excited about a football game where there's a block field goal and a touchdown and a game that nobody's gonna remember next year? Everybody go, what was that about? And yet somebody whose life has changed for eternity. Like, are my priorities mixed up? And, and I wonder, um, you know, as, as our life group talked about it, we said, okay, if really it's a priority for us, if there's an urgency for us to see the names, 10, 15,000 names, come to Jesus. You'd think at the very least what we would do is pray for these people. And yet we all kind of sat there and said, you know what? If we're honest, we don't. At least we don't much. And um, names of people that you know. I mean, it's, it's Kaylee, it's Rob, it's Hannah, it's Dan, it's Rick, um, it's Heather. And are we really that concerned? And do we even really pray for them? And you say, ah, oh, but you don't know the names that I wrote up here, David. You don't know my boyfriend. You don't know my mother. You don't know my son. It's gonna be tough. It's gonna be hard. And um, I think my grandmother would say, never give up. Keep praying 40 years. And uh, there's actually, if, if you read with us through the Bible, I, we kind of do this reading plan together as a church. And uh, it's just a chapter a day. It's just kind of a cool way to stay current, stay fresh and what... God is talking about to us. And so on Tuesday, Luke chapter 18 was actually the passage that we had to read this last week. So I'm reading it, and I come across this passage that says this. It says, one day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. And I go, okay, uh, never give up. And as Jesus continues to talk and he tells the story, he just talks about persistently praying, asking God, and the story keeps evolving as Jesus is talking, and it turns out to be talking about people coming to Jesus. And um, so the followers of Jesus are kind of saying, you know what, I'm not sure that, it, you know, they know some of the names on this list. They go, there's no way they're ever gonna turn. And so they actually say this. They, they say, who in the world can be saved? I mean, they, they know what people are like. They knew what my grandfather was like. Who in the world can be saved? And Jesus' response says, what is impossible for people is possible with God. He says, always pray, never give up. And um, so I began looking at that and saying, okay, David, um, 
Do you have that same sense of persistence? Do you have your priorities straight? Do you really spend time talking to God and saying, God, if you would change this person's heart? There's something powerful, and I don't even understand it. There's something powerful about writing somebody's name on here. Because we've already been hearing stories of people who said, you know what, I wrote a name on the pallets, and I hadn't talked to this person in years, and they showed up making a comment to me on my Facebook page, or they showed up by sending me an email. And uh, something powerful happens, more powerful when we pray for the people that are on here. And so, the three words for me, as I kind of put one life all together, is urgency, risk, and priorities. Do I have a sense of urgency? Am I willing to take risk to introduce somebody else to Jesus? Is it really that much of a priority? And so we're coming together, close of, of one life, and so here's what I wanna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to do it right now, I'm gonna ask you to do it over the next several weeks. First thing I want you to do is just pray. Pray for the name that you wrote on the pallet. And if you weren't here last weekend, if you didn't get to write a name on one of these pallets, you can still do that today. They'll be up around all of our campuses over the next couple of weeks. There's pins hanging on all the pallets. So you come up and write a name. And, um, but, but don't just write the name down, pray for them. And not just once when you write their name down and feel emotional, but man, keep talking to God. Never give up, he says. Pray for the names on the pallet. Second thing I wanna ask you to do is take a risk. And by taking a risk, I mean, it's just doing something heroic and saying, you know what, there's a cliff here, but there's a bridge that helps you across the gorge. And, and so invite, just, just do what Heather and Josh did. Invite somebody to show up at church with you. Say, just, why don't you come to church with me? Two months away from, from Christmas Eve. Every study that's ever been done says when people are most open to coming to church, if they don't typically ever go to church, it's Christmas. And so, man, take a risk, invite, say, why don't you come with me um, to church on Christmas Eve and make the decision now. And you're standing at the edge of the cliff saying, hey, there's a bridge. Well, let, me, let me introduce you to Jesus. And so, pray, take a risk, invite. And then when it comes to one life, play your part. Whatever God is asking you to do, play your part in one life. One life is all about seven new campuses. Seven opportunities for more lifeboats where people can be pulled in and introduced to Jesus Christ. And you know what, is there risk involved? Yeah, there's risk involved. You may say, I don't know financially, I can really contribute. And what's interesting, it doesn't matter what age you are, it doesn't matter where you are on the economic scale or ladder, all of us think, you know what, it's just not the right time now. Or all of us think, I just don't have the finances to do this, there are other priorities. I understand there's risk, I understand there's choices to make, but it comes back to, again, that sense of urgency, it comes back to priorities. And so you may be a college student, you may be a young family trying to get started, you may try to be trying to buy a house, you may be worried about retirement. I know there's a risk, there's a risk involved. Um, and you may say, you know, what if I don't get that job that I'm hoping for? What if I don't make the sale that I'm hoping to make? What if my kids get sick? What if the car breaks down? There's risk, I understand that. Um, but I'm asking you to consider taking a risk. Play your part in one life. And so what we've been talking about for the last several weeks is this. We say, talk to God. Talk to God about what part he wants you to play. Ask him very specifically, what part, God, do you want me to play in one life? Because I believe he's got a part for all of us. It's not a matter of the size, it's a matter of all of us choosing to be a part of this. Ask him what part he wants you to play and then play your part. Whatever part he asks you to play, play it. And play it well. Last weekend, if you were with us, you heard us announce our leadership. Um, we kind of asked them to make their commitments early. And so 457 families, $10,088,697 has already been committed towards it, I go, that's an incredible number. But I also know the goal of seven new campuses won't happen unless all of us jump in. And all of us say, you know what, I'm gonna play my part. 
And so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray and um, just ask God that we have that sense of urgency, that I don't lose it, that you don't lose it, that we don't choose to be something other than a lifeboat that paddles back. Um, And then after we pray, I'm gonna give you just a couple of moments. When you came in today in the program, there's a card that looks like this. And you can go ahead and pull it out now if you haven't yet pulled it out. But it looks like this, and it's just a place for you to say, okay, I've talked to God, and this is what God is asking me to do. And so we're gonna give you just a couple of minutes to fill it out and um, complete it if you haven't yet completed it. Maybe you brought it already filled out, you're ready to go. I would challenge you to join the leaders. Don't sit back and say, oh, the leaders have already done an amazing thing. Uh, We're not even there, we're not halfway there yet. It doesn't happen unless all of us jump on and say, let's be a part of this. And so I'm gonna give you a couple of moments. And maybe for you, it's a matter of talking to God in those couple of moments. Maybe for you, it's talking to your spouse, but saying, okay, God, what part do you want me to play? I'm gonna do it. There's something powerful about going ahead and writing it down and saying, this is what I'm gonna do. Not just think about it, not just talk about it, but this is what I'm gonna do. Um, I would ask you, don't leave during that time. Maybe you're here for the first time and it's just gonna be three minutes. The bands across all of our campuses are gonna play. And, um, and then we'll sing together as we close. And after you filled out the cards, uh, there's receptacles at the doors, you can just drop them in, and then we're done with one life. Um, and we'll say, okay, here's where we are, and let's move ahead. God is inviting us to do an incredible thing, um, to be a part of a lifeboat that paddles back, and that's unusual. We, we think that's what every church is about, it's not. Um, it's unusual. And God is saying, follow me. Follow me and we're gonna see some amazing things. More lives, more lives changed by Christ. The question is, will we choose to follow? And so I'll pray. You've got a couple moments to write and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, God, how cool it is that you sent Jesus into the world to live and to die so that all of us could have opportunity to spend eternity with you. So that all of us could have our sins forgiven. So that all of us would not have to spend eternity away from you in hell. Heavenly Father, it's amazing that Jesus came into the world to live and to die. It's amazing, God, that you love me in spite of all my messes, in spite of all the junk in my life. You chose to save me. And and now, God, you give each of us, myself included, the opportunity to stand at the edge of the cliff and say, you know what, there's a danger coming here. Unless there's some changes, it's not gonna end well for you for eternity. God, give us the courage Give us the courage to warn people and share the good news. There is a bridge, and the bridge is Jesus. Father, give us also the courage to to step up and say, you know what, I'm gonna be a part of one life. I'm actually gonna make a commitment financially to this. I'm gonna join the leaders, and I'm not gonna sit back. I'm not gonna wait for somebody else to do it. it. It's not a matter of the size. We know that. It's a matter of just saying, yeah, I'm gonna choose to be a part of it. So God, right now, stir us, show us what our part should be. Give us the courage to follow you. As you nudge us, may we say, God, I will follow you. I'll follow you on this one. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. When the sea is calm and all is right, when I feel your favor flood my life, Even in the good, I'll follow you. Even in the good, I'll follow you. When the boat is tossed upon the waves, when I wonder if you'll keep me safe, even in the storms, I'll follow you.
Even in the storms I'll follow you And I believe everything that you say you are I believe and I have seen your unchanging heart In the good things, in the hardest part I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you When I see the wicked prospering When I feel I have no voice to sing Even in the ones I'll follow you Yes, even in the ones I'll follow you And I believe everything that you say you are I believe that I have seen your unchanging heart In the good things and in the hardest part I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you When I find myself so far from home and you lead me somewhere i don't want to go even in my death i'll follow you yes even in my death i'll follow you and when i come to end this race i've won and i receive the prize that christ has won I will be with you in paradise Oh, I will be with you in paradise And I believe everything that you say you are I believe and I have seen your unchanging I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you Oh, I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you yeah. I believe